Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Book of the Month podcast. We're joined by the full cast uh, this month, the month of November, where our theme is going to be steampunk. Uh, So I'm joined uh, this month by Katie. Hello, I'm back from the asylum. (laughs) In most mostly in one piece. And uh, we have Nick. Hello. And Peter. I am here. Rachel. What's up? And I'm in charge of this month. It's me, Dan Evanson. Hello. So what do you guys know about steampunk? It's it's a subgenre of fantasy. Can we all sort of agree on that basic premise? If I know Peter, he's going to argue. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on what happens in the book. Yeah, how do you what's what's the bare minimum I suppose for for being a steampunk book? I think it's a lot different than it used to be because before I feel like steampunk was supposed to be like gritty and hardcore a little bit more and now it's just like let's throw gears at things and call it steampunk. <laughs> airships, always airships. Yes. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's not just having technology, it's it's the the aesthetic more than anything else, you know, it's, it's yeah. really the Victorian aesthetic is I think more important to steampunk than like, but there is a difference between gaslight fantasy and steampunk. Sure. Fantasy. Right. So tell, tell us so about what that. is, yeah. What is that? <laughs> I'm you not said sure, it. but Defend I know it. that there is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gaslight fantasy or gas lamp fantasy is like a much broader version. It was it was actually coined to describe a specific comic book that I have forgotten. That uh, it was coined by Kaja uh, Folingo for the for uh, Fog. Oh, oh, Folio, Kaja Folio. Folio. Yeah, yeah, Kaja. yeah. And it was coined around two thousand six. I apologize for butchering her name. Sorry. <laughs> okay. and, and it's has more themes of gothic uh, literature than uh, the typical punk, punk themes. So, hmm. And what are typical punk themes? Rising against... this one. Yeah, Peter, go ahead. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. But yeah, it's uh, coming from the perspective of the downtrodden, the disenfranchised, the, uh, the weak, the socially powerless, and uh, using them as protagonists, looking from their point of view and rising up like Rachel was saying, against the uh, the people who are in power, the elites, uh, typically people who have uh, technology and aren't using it in a socially responsible way. They're using it to uh, collect and solidify their own power. And so instead we see a lot of uh, themes of anti-corporatism and uh, down, down with the man, power to the people. Uh, the book I uh, read this month is kind of like the religion is also corrupt, and that's what they're fighting against, kind of. Yeah, right. after hearing that, um, I've decided my book is no longer steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't it's, be the first time. It's fine. But the thing is, you know, how different are these genres, really? They're kind of, there's a lot of overlap. Sure. I think with a yeah, lot of genres, much, there's yeah. just a lot of overlap, especially with fantasy. Oh, for sure. And I think, I think what I described uh, is where steampunk kind of originated 
but I think it's, I mean, language is alive. It's, uh, we should be treating it descriptively, not prescriptively, right? So, uh, steampunk is the way people use the word. It's not, well, everyone's calling that steampunk, but they're all wrong. I'm the only one who's right. So in the end, uh, people have, I think, pared down the meaning of the word to what Nick described earlier. It's just, uh, it's the aesthetics, it's the era, it's kind of the social environment, uh, and then you describe your technology in a, in a quirky sort of steam and cogs sort of way. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably with Katie uh, this, this month. Uh, the book I read, although it was suggested to me by a steampunk author uh, who I was speaking with uh, a little while ago, uh, I'm not sure it totally hits all those points. Uh, we'll have to see when we when we get to the books. But uh, do you guys have any like uh, how familiar are you guys with steampunk? I, I know I have read uh, only like maybe one or two pieces before this month uh, about steampunk. Um, I've read uh, some Katie Cross. I believe that was who it was. Um, she did like the girl in the steel corset and the girl in the clockwork collar. But I've also read um, Scott Westerfeld's Leviathan trilogy, which mm-hmm. apparently may not be steampunk either. It's, it's more of a diesel punk. Oh, yeah. Something else, I guess. It is. So I'm just going to I'm just going to put it out there. I, I took a class a couple weeks ago at a writing convention about what are all the punk genres and what do they mean? <laughs> wow, enlighten us, please. That's oh, I don't, I don't want to just stay. Okay. Lobster. Uh, <laughs> oh God, lobster. Lobster. Um, th- thank you. <laughs> um, but diesel punk in this case is, uh, I mean, right. The best example is Mad Max, right? I, it's everything's running off of. Uh, diesel or gasoline or fuel and uh, you have similar little person or the little people fighting back against the the uncaring massive bad guys I guess the the oppressors so so the punk theme is really the sort of rebellious nature the, I mean, it, it started with cyberpunk, right, in the right. 80s yeah. and yeah. has expanded out. I mean, there's, uh, uh, I guess, every level of technology is represented at this point. You can go all the way up to solar punk, uh, biopunk. Right. Um, Do they have stone and- punk? I'm not sure I've technically seen stone punk. I, I've toyed with the idea of something that my head calls henge punk. Hmm. <laughs> Um, I would love to that, watch like is a, that like druids? I don't know what is. What no, is I want to watch like a caveman beat up a bigger caveman. It's <laughs> basically oh, well, that's you, that, you there's, that. a, there's the anime Doctor Stone. Are you familiar with the anime Doctor Stone? Know that. Oh, that's that's brand new, right? Yeah, yeah. I just started this season. It is the premise is that uh, the entire world is turned to stone, and uh, all the humans and all the sparrows, I think, are turned to stone. And then 3,000 years go by and people start to wake up. And uh, there's a kid who is the, the main character of the anime and he's trying to put society back together, starting at the Stone Age and working his way up. Fascinating. 
So is it so punk? That might be as, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that, yes, because he immediately uh, releases Stone Age Hitler and also has to, <laughs> has to battle against uh, super strong uh, Stone Age Hitler. Man, I hate Stone Age Hitler. Yes, he, he, his, his thing that he hates is old people. So he walks around destroying all the statues of old people that are still technically humans. Oh, wow. Yeah. um, It's a trippy anime, yeah. I've seen (laughs) memes comparing the main character to, like, Jimmy Neutron or something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's probably a a totally accurate statement, yeah. He's kind of a weird... And a lot of the episodes are, like, uh, learning about basic chemistry and stuff as he invents gunpowder again and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) But none of that uh, has anything to do with what we're talking about, so... Uh, we're talking about steampunk. Um, did you guys? <laughs> You're right, really smooth. I'm a professional. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Professional what? This, whatever this is. <laughs> I could I'm say something, but it's not. I could say something, but it's not gonna be nice. <laughs> mm. Um. So I've read. Um. I read the uh, the Towers of Babel's. Um, series quartet quartet yes and um well i've read tetralogy yeah (laughs) i've read the first three books because book four is not out yet um and that is considered steampunk and i've also read um his dark material series where lyra's world is very steampunk and that it has very punk themes to it yeah i think for our purposes the stuff we're going to be talking about today are are Victorian styled books that have kind of anachronistic technology element and um, but but have pretty just based on looking at the books that we have all called out they're pretty wide ranging uh, additional sort of elemental genres I know like mine is uh, I don't even we'll have to talk about mine mine is <laughs> a little confusing to me even after I've read it but uh, I know we've got a sort of adventure, which is like Sunland Ascends and mm-hmm. uh, uh, some other some other types. So retribution falls. Mine turned, out, mine turned out to not be uh, steampunk either. I just thought it was going to be. What kind of steampunk? They're kind of fighting against people. You know, so a lot of this podcast will be us explaining why our books are not <laughs> the thing that they're supposed to be because. Well, I, I, I think I think yeah I think that again these genres you really can't narrow it down super specifically most of the time blame, so blame Goodreads I went on Goodreads and went looked at top steampunk uh, fictions and I found it oh man you know I'm also kind of I, I'm sort of developing a theory here right what? and as usual my theories are probably wrong and Peter will probably tell me oh boy <laughs> No, but I'm kind of thinking that, you know, in a way, another thing that I see a lot in at least the steampunk I've read or um, in, like, D&D, the steampunk I like to play, is not necessarily worrying about being, like, historically accurate, but taking all the fun elements and just putting it, like, being historically fun. Just, you know what I mean? You take um, the the sort of fun Victorian uh, outfits and elements and um, way of speaking and then you add in things that are, you know, convenient and interesting, like airships and trains and big cities. And well, let me tell you how you're wrong. Yeah. 
<laughs> you're not though. You're not wrong. That was just a good intro. It's uh, you're right. The steampunk uh, as a genre, as a label, has has left behind its origin uh, and just kind of focused in on the part that people liked the most, which was the aesthetic. So the clothes and the mannerisms and uh, the the strange, you know, the quirky looking tech. Yeah, um, I kind of branching off for this. I kind of if you look at cyberpunk, it hasn't left as much as steampunk. Uh, if you look at the current stuff, yeah, like it's um, more uh, more true to its roots, I suppose. You look like cyberpunk uh, twenty seventy seven looks very punky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's co- that's coming out soon ish, I think, or is it already out? I think it's next no, year. No, it's next year. Okay. But from what from the promos I've seen, it looks very much like the punk the punk themes are heavy. Yeah, I wonder if it's assisted by reality slowly being more like what Cyberpunk envisioned. <laughs> whereas Steampunk, you know, we will not go backwards in all likelihood. Right. Uh, you know, we're gonna catch up to Steampunk eventually. We're gonna catch up to bio or solar punk. But steampunk is is historically anachronistic. So there's a, a sub maybe sub sub genre con- called now punk, which is all about kind of addressing the fact that we we are we are currently living in a cyberpunk world. Yeah, um, it's like biopunk. Uh, has anyone read anything by Wildbo? Nope. No. Uh, he wrote uh, Worm, which is a very good, um, very good and very long web serial about uh, superheroes. Uh, he also wrote Twig, which is very, it's a viral, it's a, definitely a biopunk story. Hmm. And can they're you, very, go ahead. I was going to say, can you, can you say what makes it biopunk? Uh, they have universities to make Frankensteins. Oh, that's cool. Wait, yeah. like they want to do this? Yes, it's very creepy, and it's not there. It's not moral at all. It's just um, like the protagonist is um, uh, he is a biopunk experiment who is very smart, and he works for the universities. Okay, Did they so not grow, read grow your Frankenstein? Own <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> no, they used it as a textbook. Yeah, <laughs> boy. Yeah, that's um. Oh, so you need to get bodies from at least five different people. Yeah, um, like, uh, Worm is actually slightly shorter than all the current um, Game of Thrones books put together. Hmm. Mm. You said it's shorter? Mm. Slightly shorter. It's 1.6 oh, okay. million words. I was going to say, just telling me it's shorter than 20,000 pages. <laughs> I yeah, don't know what that um, means. Okay, so it's I pretty long, to- though. Yeah, I have to go by word count because it's um, a web serial. It's one point. I think it's one point six million words. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so know, that's wor- that, that's worm. How do so, people have time to read that, let alone write that? I don't know. He updates uh, twice a week. Wow, that's awesome. It's though. like it's like the Harry Potter fanfic that all takes place in the first uh, year of Harry Potter's uh, attendance at school but is longer than the entire series. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. To go, if, you, if that sounds interesting, go check him out. It's on, he has his own website. Just type in word, Worm or Twig, Wildbow. Maybe, yeah, you can pass the link on and I'll put it in the... 
uh, yeah, description. Sure. And you'll remind me because I forget every time. <laughs> <laughs> Have you put in Dan's link yet? Right after this. That's I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Enjoy that future people. Yeah. He remembers oh. a lot more if you slip him a fiver. It's true. <laughs> I keep throwing it at the screen, but nothing. <laughs> Wait, so Nick, <laughs> you get money for this project? Does that make you king of of too many thoughts since Nico doesn't get any money? <laughs> no. No. Oh, okay. No, none that of us make it. him the embezzler. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, none of us make any money off any of the podcasts we do. In fact, we definitely lose money. That's for sure. Well, that's, I mean, you gotta, you pay for hosting and... Hosting, equipment. Time. All that, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not, it's a fun pet project that we hope yeah. will. <laughs> <laughs> now I want the role of chief embezzler in some company. Chief embezzler. Just put it on front street. Yeah. I feel like you can't get in trouble if like it's part of your job title. I feel like that should be... Right? <laughs> If, if like, our current president has taught us anything, if you do it in front of a TV camera, it's not a crime. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's not get let's, into that. Okay. Yeah, let's leave <laughs> politics everywhere, apparently. Let's leave politics on Twitter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I get a kick out of this stuff, man. <laughs> so, so uh, Yeah, I think that's the steampunk conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. We moved, yeah. To, we moved to politics. The one thing so. the president has taught us about steampunk. <laughs> if it doesn't uh, exist yeah sure so let's um sort of try to set a tone for steampunk like i'm trying to think what popular media we could point to for people to be like oh that's what steampunk is and the only thing that comes to mind is uh the wild wild west movie with no that's uh, spot on <laughs> the giant mechanical spider yeah yeah, I keep thinking of Firefly, but that's it's set in space, so it's not yeah, really. That's, no, that's there's uh, no steam present. Well, yeah. obviously, the there's the anime Steam Boy, which is very much steam powered. It's very good. I mean, I think steampunk is sort of one of those elusive things that you know, it, it's like um, pornography. You know, exactly. You that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's like porn. You know, it when you see it. I was just trying to remember oh, who said that. Right. Yeah, I thought it was a Supreme Court justice, yeah. So that exact quote quote was in one of my textbooks. <laughs> but you know what? It's it's, it's something that book. everybody gets. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm just gonna throw out there the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. You think they're steampunk? Well they have the kind of that. A little bit. Vibe. A little bit. They have a little bit of clockwork, a little bit of, of steam. Uh it's in the Great. I, I always gets, get the era the wrong, but feel, but it doesn't have all of the the aesthetic. Yeah. The theme, yeah. Uh, did anyone watch the movie Nine? Yes. The yes, are you talking about the animated so one? Cute. With, yeah. the, the, with the stuffed person. Yes. Yeah. I I, I thought okay. the movie personally. I thought the movie was boring, but the aesthetic is right. <laughs> that's that sounds right on both counts. And I think that's the key here is that it's really about aesthetic. At the end of the day, there are many you know nuances that uh, you know we can also talk about, but. It's become overly broad. Yes. And never really entered the the fullness of, like, the popular culture, right? Enough that everyone sort of has an idea that, like, oh, here's a person wearing goggles. Uh, they're right. <laughs> steampunk related. There's, there's, there's a gear on their goggle. There, there's yeah. their set. Yeah. It's that, that it's the core, the seller in every con is selling something steampunk. Oh, yeah. No, it's, like, it's, it's certainly blossomed. Um... 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's grown to fill its its niche. Niche? I, niche? I will Nerd. say that the leather jackets that I sell at cons are really, really, the steampunk leather jackets are really, really cool, but really, really expensive. Like, mm. ja- like, like these, like, long coats? Uh, I mean, at this point, conventions have full cosplay gear that you can just buy straight up yeah. on the on the show floor. Yeah. I was uh, like, every type. So I, some of them are long, longer ones. I tend to stay away those because those are uber expensive. But some of them are really nice, but they're still a thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> at the Renaissance Festival that I went to recently, there they have you know like actual shops, and there were like four or five of them dedicated to steampunk. I went to a steampunk wedding. That's awesome. That's, Hold on, that's drop everything. Awesome. Screw the podcast. Pictures, <laughs> pictures. I don't, I don't know if I have pictures. You know. Okay. I, I, I imagine, like, instead of, like, a bar, they just have barrels with taps, you know? Can I, oh, I no. But, no, see, see, that's that's wrong. You're going too far back. You want to have, like, a whole bunch of bottles all, like, stuck to the wall. Oh, yeah. In, like, encased in these bronze or bra- the brass, like, uh, holdings so that you pull a lever and like, liquor shoots out into the cup. Um, some... Someone in the group in the party, uh, like the bride, like the uh, groomsmen's party and the bridesmen's party, has a metal arm. That's uh, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> now wait, quick before before we, before we get into our books, because serious question for you: If the technology was there, would you have your own arm cut off to get it replaced with like a a robot arm? In a hot second, absolutely. <laughs> Probably. It's like. High maintenance. Can I have robot my, eyes? My normal body requires maintenance already. <laughs> like, so I would, I would much prefer to go to the hardware store than engage in the healthcare system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, um, like uh, the assumption here is that like the technology is good. Like, it is, it will vastly improve what your yeah, human I, I would body not want to be do. the first the first person of the yeah. right yeah don't, right. don't be an early adopter so the assumption is the that it's good technology. but you have to have your arm removed i mean that's the downside uh do they do they have the technology to make sure it doesn't reject see yeah. you're you're thinking right. too good here you're using your yeah. big brain <laughs> i yes. think i think i think nick's assertion is just that it works. It's fine. The arm is better than your old arm. Would you do it? I'm saying, would you cut your arm off for a better arm? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, in a heartbeat. Because I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I'd let I'm, a doctor I'm, do I'm it. With but... you, Nick. I, I don't. Like... Oh wait, <laughs> is the is the premise that I have to do it personally? <laughs> well, sure. I guess you could let a doctor do it too. I assume the <laughs> medical team would oh, be involved. Medical. I was thinking medical here. <laughs> yeah. No. No. That's 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 accurate. I, I think it's everything. It's a DIY kit from the Home Depot. I'm not <laughs> really interested. <laughs> no. I think the idea is everything is good about this, except. You know, really, can you wrap your mind around t- intentionally taking your ar- or getting rid of your arm for this purpose? It's like getting rid of a good arm for a better arm. Y- it is, but Would it's it also. Would it have to be an arm, or could we get something else? Can I get eyes? Because my eyes are broken. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, you're gonna scoop your eyes out with a spoon. I need to have my spoon with me. (laughs) Don't choke me, Katie. (laughs) I'm sorry. 
Should we get into the books? What no. Books? Yes. Now that our adventure in body horror is over, <laughs> Hold on, it's I only just begun, Dan. I would want a steampunk liver. That's all I'm gonna say. Steampunk. <laughs> 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 would it hurt because it's nice. metal, like going around in the squishy bits? No, just I recant every, every, my previous statement. I do not want a liver. It's too late. It's too late. Amazon heard you. It's been listening, and it's shipping to you now. If, well, if Amazon was listening, sponsors. <laughs> right. No, if Amazon was listening, they would give us an Audible sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, that's my dream. Audible. It's, it's just every time you heard. take, every time you take a shot, it's it just sounds like a shift change from like 1910. Question: Where the steam go up or down? Out. <laughs> out. Yeah, out is the important part. <laughs> it's just leaking from your ears. Could I just get a little smokestack out of the side of my body? Yes. How would you, you do that right now? <laughs> I would sleep poorly like I usually do. <laughs> you know what I want? I would want a steampunk spine. Tell me more. Because my back hurts a lot, so I'm just like... <laughs> Welcome to adulthood. Yeah, also being female, so you know, top-heavy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Maybe, maybe we'll all be digital soon. Oh, I wrote an ethical paper about uploading. God, that paper was terrible and hard to write. Well, I was about to ask to read it, but if it's terrible, then never mind. Well, you can read it. I will. I will upload it. But it was okay. just really hard to write, and it hurt. Is it my ethical brain. for you to upload it? It was the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm terrible at ethics. I need to watch The Good Place more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, right. that'll teach you. All right. Let's now that we're let's now that we're done recording in. all the bits that Nick will edit out later. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, every one of my words is golden. You don't edit out a piece of this. They just go into a special box. Yeah, that's right. Golden special words. box of awesome. That's right. Well, they go into a special file and then they get used as a teaser. <laughs> that could do. That's Katie's new job, by the way. That's... By now, you'll well, probably have her first performance. I dig. Yeah, by now, you guys will probably have seen Katie's uh, one minute audio teaser. Oh, yeah, that's golden. Actually, will it be both of them? What you mean, like? Maybe? What's the, the other fo- one? The Foley artist. Oh, the, the growling child. I don't know. Just, that's our new opening music. Is uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right. So all right. Uh, since we were bereft of Katie last week, Katie, Ooh. why don't you go first? Good call. I'm honored. <laughs> we can tell. All right, so the book that I read was The Iron Worm Affair by Lilith St. Crow. Um, It's the first book in a trilogy. I'm just going to read the back of it for you guys real quick. It's super, super short. All right, so Emma Bannon is a forensic sorceress in the service of the Empire, which, you know, Britain, and has a mission to protect Archibald Clare, a failed unregistered Mentath. His skills of deduction Mentath. are... Yes, Mentath. It... Okay, just tasting it. Okay. How's, <laughs> how is it? Minty. Yeah, not sure about the mouthfeel. All right. 
His skills of deduction are legendary, and her own sorcery is not inconsiderable. Unfortunately, they can barely tolerate each other. Romance! Uh. So, that that was the premise. Um, And a few things about it. I would probably have it labeled as manor punk. Oh, okay. Sure. They are they are so up on you know, oh, her hat was slightly askew. Oh no. And it was just some parts of it were just horrendously like that. <laughs> that was when she realized that her hat having been to one side by one degree angle too much, she had been sending the entirely wrong message and she was mortified and she could not show her face. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> that that perfect. I need more of that. <laughs> that is next week's promo. That's next week's promo. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that sounds like um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, if, if everyone's heard. Oh, yes. Oh, I read yeah. part of that, and I just couldn't handle it. You know, I, I was saw like, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is much better. Um, yeah, uh, what, what's her name again? Pride Which and Prejudice? One? Uh, Jane Austen, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I can't. I try, but I can't do it. She's so boring. And even when they added the zombies, it was still so boring. <laughs> ah. It's too well, it's, well, then, if you don't like Jane Austen, well, then you'll probably not like the Iron Worm affair. Oh. It was, it was really repetitive. Like they would go to somebody's house, which they would not introduce at all. And then, you know, there would be, ooh, a fight. And then they would retire to their estate. And then they would go to somebody else's place and there would be a fight. And then they would have, it was it was super repetitive. And the words deduce and foxfire appeared way more often than necessary. Why foxfire? I have is, no idea. What is foxfire? It's just a different colored fire, I think. Probably oh, a blue so fire. It was, it was something for the in the setting. It was a it was a setting thing. Hmm. Well, now I have to look it up. Thanks, guys. I think Foxfire <laughs> is usually associated with like uh, swamp gas and uh, fairy lights in the swamp. Sometimes called Foxfire, I believe. It's like a blue flame. Oh, okay. So Thank you, Dan. A little bit, but it still didn't need to be there like every twenty pages. So, most importantly, did you like the book, though? It sounds like you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so yours included a magic. It sounds like uh, so is that. I think my, my well, mine also includes a magic system when we talk about it. But is that it, I couldn't really tell if that was like a, a usual part of steampunk. Did it feel out of place in the book, Katie? Um, not really. But the way that they got the magic was really weird. So at each tide turn, their magic would be refreshed and it would like go into their jewelry and it could only hold hold so much magical potential at a time. Well, all of that makes perfect logical sense to me. Wait, no, no, it doesn't. What's a tide turn? Uh, High tide, low tide. Really? Okay. Would it be like a half a day? Yeah. No, yeah, so like once in the morning at once at night, they get their energy refreshed. I thought the tide turns twice a day. Well, 
you have right, high okay. tide twice a day and low tide twice a day. So a full turn would be a high tide to another high tide, for example. Oh, uh, well, shoot, I don't know. Maybe hmm. it's a plot hole that we found. I've Wait. only been to the ocean once. I don't know the mechanics. Is that true? Well, yeah. I'm Quick, write that down. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Wait, no, that just like makes me feel bad. I touched uh, it though. I touched it once. Although you have a bunch of lakes, right? Mm. Yeah, land of 10,000 lakes, baby. Yeah, you have infinite lakes, so I don't feel as bad anymore. Yeah. So if she lived in a desert, you would be depressed? I don't Well, never seeing, oh, yeah. next, never seeing the ocean is like a sad moment, I feel like. Next uh. week I'm moving to Arizona, guys. Uh. <laughs> Wait, for reals, yo? No, I lied. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Uh. She fibbed for comedy. I used to live on the ocean. Ha, ha, ha. So that's interesting then. So, so this, even though they had this major steampunk element, magic element, and all that, you, you're saying it was more about the Victorian uh, decorum mm. than anything else. Yes, because yes, she was mostly like, um, she would make sure that she always had on her gloves, and she mm-hmm. would opt for a hat instead of a bonnet because, you know, a bonnet would ruin her eye sights, peripherals. Does it, uh... Was she kind of an iconoclast? Like, did she like try to push those boundaries of the social norms? Uh, or did she swim well within those waters? There wasn't actually very much like, lady-to-lady confrontation. In fact, I don't think there was any. But was she, she the only lady? But she's not actually a lady. She's just pretending to be, ha! Huh? And very often she would like utter a word that would make oh uh, a, 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 re- a real lady would would blush or burst into flame. Yes, and it, that was so annoying too because it's just like, oh, she's not like the other girls. <laughs> All right, I get it. Okay, we can move on. Ma- manic pixie steam girl. Yes, Manic Pixie Steam Girl. It sounds like a worse <laughs> version of Vin from, um, what is it? Uh, Mistborn. I loved Vin, though. She was- I said, I said, I said worse version. Oh, okay, yeah. She there's, was like, there's an implication that she is a bad version. <laughs> no. How dare you? I, li- I liked her. She was fun. She kind of enjoyed being a lady. Which one was Vin? Uh, main character of first trilogy. Oh. Eh. Fair. How dare you? Alright, so since since Katie didn't like her book, let I would let's engage in this tangent about Mistborn. Is Mistborn uh <laughs> yes. steampunk? Yes. Uh second trilogy mm-hmm. definitely. No, they both are, but they, they I think they cover different ends of it. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I think that's yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, I, I I think I'm the least educated here. I read the first book, and I, I would say no, but that's... Uh... Well, the first book is mostly from the point of view of, like, the slums and stuff, but really the second two books get a lot more into politics and intrigue with, like, the, the, the wealthy families, the aristocrats, and so there's a lot more of that, those Victorian elements. And it, it okay. issues... Uh, Earth, you know, so it 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 does a lot of the Victorian stuff, but uh, not completely because there's a no, whole it, you know separate culture. Yeah, yeah, and for sure the second series, the the second 
wax and Wayne. or whatever. Yeah, with wax, wax and, and Wayne. It's yeah, it's very much like 1910 levels of technology, maybe close to the 1920s when sort of the West is being conquered. In, you know, in the history. You know, another great example of steampunk that we didn't mention that I just remembered is um, Avatar: Last Airbender. Um, oh, the Korra. But, but the Korra. Legend of Korra. Yeah. Yep, that's definitely it. Which is, I, I loved that um, that change that they took there for the the second. Well, now but, is that steam or is that industrial? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd call that steampunk because they definitely industrialize, um, but they're they're taking. I mean, one of the things that impressed me about that spinoff is that they, you know, they had the guts to move forward with technological advancement, which is something that so many uh, stories or settings or worlds are afraid to do. They just they they, mm-hmm. they keep things static. Um, See, I, I think I if steampunk fits. Maybe not technically steampunk, but what I, I think they did is they went for again that aesthetic, but they kept it in their own magic system. That they created, right? Yeah, they, yeah. they kept it consistent. Their own rules, which is great. I think Asami, the character of Asami, follows like diesel punk rules. Yeah, that's probably more fair. Diesel punk's probably a little more accurate in a way. Uh, they did I mean, they had, 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 had giant robots in that show, so <laughs> they were giant robots. Towards Season the end, four. Yeah. Oh, I watched it. I, Season four was one of the best. I just don't remember the giant robot. Yeah, season one and two were kind of meh, and then season three and four were really good. They had to find their footing, I guess. Um, okay. All right. Katie, anything, okay. Any, any sum up of your book that you'd like to make? There were also horses that were clockwork, but they were made from regular horses. Okay. Yeah. That's oh. terrifying. Oh. I disapprove. You're welcome, guys. What's the name and the author of your book? One last time. Lilith St. Crow wrote The Iron Worm, that's worm with a Y, Affair. So would you say like people who like Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies might like the book? Yeah, it's, it's a little too stuffy for me, though. That's a very niche audience who likes Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, specifically. <laughs> I, was try- I was trying to find a r- good note to end on. <laughs> I can't help okay. it, though. Well, as a, a, a counterpoint to Katie's book, I'll go next. Um, go for it. Mm-hmm. Because I do have an appreciation for uh, Jane Austen. And, like, in particular, I, I in fantasy, you know, like, I really love Mary Robinette Kowal's uh, The Glamorous Histories. And, um, and uh, like, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. My wife and I are watching the, uh, the TV show right now. Oh, I love that TV show. Yeah, I mean, it's not technically steampunk, but it's that era. It is. It is gentlemen being gentlemen, and you know, ladies being ladies. That that sort of aesthetic. Uh, And so, my book uh, this week is uh, Iron Skin by Tina Connolly, and it's very much uh, kind of a similar aesthetic, uh, which I which I enjoy quite a lot. It is. I think it is almost assuredly based on uh, the book Jane Eyre. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Jane Eyre, mm-hmm. which is a bonkers of a story <laughs> because it's like, it's got mysterious fires and a wife that's kept in the walls, a secret wife. Uh, and like, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those, Jane Eyre is one of those crazy stories where you're like, oh, this is going to be boring. You know, it's kind of what Katie described, but then you get into it and it's, 
just off the wall <laughs> phrases. Um, so the only thing I know about Jane Eyre is I think Clara from Doctor Who. That was her favorite book. I think. Yeah, right. That's right. So Iron Skin uh, by Tina Connolly um, fires a uh, follows a a woman uh, named Jane. Um, who has been injured in the Great War, which was a war between humans and fairies. Hmm. Uh, Previously to the Great War, fairy had provided humans with advanced technology that was all powered by this fairy light. Um, And so human society had kind of advanced past the Victorian age. But after the Great War, without the fairy light, all the fairy technology is now running out of power. And so to supplement uh, their society, humans have started designing sort of steampunk-like technology to replace it. So it's, a, it's an interesting world where there are parts of it that are sort of advanced technology, but then uh, it's all supplemented by this Victorian age steampunk stuff. And the society is still kind of uh, in the Victorian age where it's kind of um, like the, the fairy technology sort of stunted human development and it sort of stalled out in the Victorian age, even as technology ramped up. That sounds really cool. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting setting and um, it, it sets the stage for Jane who has, was injured in the great war by like a fairy grenade and it infected mm. her with this fairy light that powers everything. So she like leaks emotion out of her if she's not careful because uh, through her her warrant does she does she uh, uh, power devices? She does not. Well, oh. not in the beginning, anyway. Uh, oh. Yeah, her power expands as we go through. Um, but uh, to to sort of combat the nature of her injury, she wears an iron mask, sort of over half her face, and it's oh. called Iron Skin, uh, which is where the book gets its title. So people who have these war injuries will cover them with iron to prevent the sort of uh, emotion from leaking out and affecting other people. And in Jane's instance, her emotion is rage. So uh, like if she is left unmasked around people, they will immediately start to get angry. And so she's had a very difficult life um, after her injury, because uh, at first, you know, she was um, I think like 16 when it happens and, and after that, you know, nobody can really stand to be around her because anyone that does become becomes eventually like just outraged and, and really angry with her. So is, is she leaking rage because she is herself angry? Uh, so she doesn't really know. Like it, it seems because of the, the Victorian age um, sensibilities, nobody really wants to talk about their feelings. Of course. And so, it's all very much sort of English, like everybody press everything down and everything's fine and have your stiff upper lip kind of thing. Perfect. So does this take place in like on Earth? Yes. So it is Earth and I'm not sure if it's England or like a a. it was never really clear to me if it was like a, an analog or something like that. But I, I mean, I do believe it is Earth. It's, so it's supposed to be like a Earth that diverged some time ago based on fairy contact. Yeah, right. I, I think that's right. Yeah, they don't really talk about the nations or the politics or anything. It's 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 even with all the discussion of like the society at large, the story is very like tight around um, just a few right. characters. Is it a series? 
Uh, it is a, sc- a series. Uh, I've only read this first one, so I couldn't tell you anything about the rest of it. Uh, but this it, one was it was pretty good. Does it uh, does it feel? I'm gonna guess no, but it's like the part of my brain went to a place of like repair after post-apocalypse because if I feel like if we stopped being able to acquire a new gasoline tomorrow, um, you know, our our world would look a lot more like Mad Max, even while we were trying to supplement it with, you know, wood-powered steam uh, engines or whatever, then then it would look like... I think it's I think it's, it. it's kind of like this step after that. So the story takes place like five years after the war. And I think mm-hmm. like that five years is where, you know, there's this sudden decline that is sort of like a period filled with a lot of chaos and, mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, people sort of trying to get back into their lives. But like now, five years later, things so are starting to like pick back up. Yeah, right, right. Okay. So the story, the the majority of the plot centers around Jane um, becoming a uh, caretaker for a rich man's daughter and her sort of uh, trying to to find her place in his home. Uh, So there's a lot of like uh, like Downton Abbey (laughs) kind of activity where, you know, she's this very a lower class person who is, you know, deep inside this high class family. The family is sort of like on the outs with the rest of society because uh, it's a single father and his daughter. And um, the daughter has um, uh, a delicate situation is how it's described. But essentially uh, she has very she can do fairy magic. Uh, And so Jane is brought in to sort of teach her how to behave correctly in polite society um, by suppressing her power. And, um, you know, the the story really went places like I was sort of prepared for like uh, kind of like what Katie described, something like very boring and and really about society. But like and this story went all kinds of places. There's a fairy queen at some point. There's uh, the supernatural dwarves are involved and it it really kind of like went off on me and uh, I was really impressed with that. Um, I think like the only complaint I would have is um, that it's, it's written in that Jane Eyre style. So if you are put off by um, the Jane Austen, the, that, that time period, the, the style of writing, you, you might not enjoy it because it's, it's not, um, written in the same in, in a really like a modern style like if, if you read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell you know like that story is very much written and not a modern style right it's almost like a description of history more than it is a, a, a third person or first person narrative um, and this is kind of the same way even though it's a first person narrative it you know she maintains the style of language throughout the entire narration so if you're not used to that, it can be a little jarring, but I I enjoy that kind of stuff a lot, so uh, I liked it. I imagine that's got to help with, like, the immersion, too. For sure, yeah. Uh, so how would you say it fits in the steampunk, or what type of genre would you give it? I, I mean, I think it fits in between the sort of gaslight and 
theme punk um, bit. I think like I think probably the rest of this based on how it ends, I assume the rest of the series probably gets way more steampunk than this does. Mm. Uh, you know, mm. by the, uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to really spoil the ending of the book, but um, it seems like there are more paths for her to take, like the, the main character to take uh, a lot more active role in the world. Um, and the story definitely, I think, would expand, expand outward into like the politics and everything, which is just not anything to do with the the majority of the plot of this book. Hmm. So well, I'm interested. Yeah. So what did you read again? Uh, so this is Iron Skin by Tina Connolly. And one other thing I'll point out, which I didn't really realize until I was like typing up some notes on it, is there is only one male character. The rest of the book is entirely populated by female characters. And uh, I really didn't notice until I got to the end. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's just this one guy. That that kind of reminds me of like uh, the book of the ancestor series by um, Mark Lawrence. Yes. Yeah, everybody is. Yeah, that's right. It's a nunnery in that book. But yeah, yeah. same same aesthetic. uh, But I really like that series. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Uh, so, Rachel, why don't you go next? Okay. So, I read Retribution Falls by Chris Wooding, and it's a, it's the first book in the Keddie J uh, series. And I'll just read a quick summary where it's the crew of the Keddie J are um, a, about a, a crew of desperate people down on their luck, and they feel all, uh, and they're led by Damien Frey. Frey is given an offer too good to pass up, um, and, per- and particularly, there was a reason that offer was so good. Uh, Frey ends up on a, on a chase across the continent to escape um, the deadly manhunt. Uh, what I said about this book was I really liked that all the characters were kind of shitty people. <laughs> um, like, they're very desperate, they're at the bottom of their barrel, they can from here is it shitty like grimdark like where everybody's just murdering people all the time or no just assholes uh, to each other they're, they're assholes like Frey like when he gets the offer he's like I need to just take all this money and leave <laughs> <laughs> which I kind of like because it's different if you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, and like there's, al- there's an alcoholic character who's just like an asshole to people they're assholes. Let's just say that. They're also kind of shitty pirates. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the thing I didn't like about being shitty is Frey's main character trait for three-fourths of the um, book is he didn't take responsibility for anything. And I hated that. Mm. He blamed everything on his upbringing. I was like, stop, please. Mm. I w- he does get character growth, but it's in the last fourth of the book. Mm. But you enjoyed the, the sort of in spite of that. Yeah, um, I found other things. The setting was very enjoyable, and there's an actor that I loved named Jez, and she her mystery was very very enjoyable, and the intrigue behind the magic system called demonism, where it's like somebody can control spirits. Let's talk some more about that. What do you mean they control spirits? Like, um, they can make spirits go into, uh, something that they made was, um, took, took a, a pair of spirits and linked them together, 
and put one spirit in a cufflink and the other in a compass. So you can, uh, so that spirit always points to the other one in the cufflink. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Is it all like imbuing items with with qualities or? Uh... Yes. Okay. Yes. Like um, the character that is the daemonist has a golem that has um, that he's imbued with spirits. And uh, he has a skeleton key and uh, a cutlass that um, basically fights for him. Huh. And they're a crew on board of an air- airship, and they're just kind of shitty pirates in the beginning. They um, they're really bad at their job. They're just getting they're just barely scraping by, not really scraping by at some points. Um, <laughs> yeah. It sounds really uh, fun. Yeah, I was just really annoyed. Anytime Frey was the protagonist or like the the point of view character, because he's, he's just frustrating, try- right? Yeah. Um, was that sort of the intent, or was that just a personal thing for you? Do you think? I think it's mostly a personal thing for me. I don't like that <laughs> personality trait. <laughs> so it was a lot more irritating to you than it should have been. <laughs> yes. That's funny. But um. I, he does grow, and he's less irritating, and I read the second book, and he's much less irritating, and he becomes less a shitty person. Well, that's lovely. Yeah. So would you describe it like a, a kind of a swashbuckling book? Yes. The, it's, the airships it, and... Yeah, it's Firefly, but you put it in uh, steampunk. Is it Earth? Is it... Or a secondary world? It's a secondary world. Oh, it's, um... It's not Earth, it's... A con- it's just a made-up continent, like they world-builded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do, has anyone read Aeronauts Windlass by Jim Butcher? Yes. It's kind of like that world. Oh, okay. Uh, it's like a different, yeah. Um, but, and he blame, and they're fi- fighting, in the first book, they're mostly, it's mostly fighting against the people, the government that um, accused them of doing something, but it was really just a setup. Um, and that's who they're fighting against. And there was a good quote where it's just like, Frey is looking for freedom, but he doesn't know what freedom is. Hmm. Hmm. So what, what kind of drove you through the novel? Like what was keeping your interest as you went through the whole thing? Uh, the mystery behind Jez about her, because it drops like little tidbits about her life before uh, joining the crew of the Kenny J. Also, the... Uh, Manhunt was interesting. The like running from the authorities, yeah. the chase. They're, they're also running from the most deadly pirate um, because they got a, a bounty in their head. <laughs> and yeah. they're in the cut. Yeah. So it's very actiony. Um, it's a quick does, read. Does the much. pirate have like a cool name, like Steambeard uh, or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> My Her name is Most Deadly Pirate. Her name is like Tritica. Oh, her name. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's a pretty good I'm name. A... Did you just assume her gender, Daniel? I did. Sorry. <laughs> I admittedly I didn't give them a gender until two seconds ago. <laughs> um, yeah, she's just uh, she. She was the daughter of a very very um, uh, ship builder. Yeah, I'm sorry to everyone who heard me perk up at lady pirates <laughs> <laughs> she's also kind of an asshole yeah we just learned a little bit more about you dan yep Put it in the bio. It down. <laughs> it's okay i get excited when i um 
about uh what's her name mary what's what's that lady pirate's name that starts with mary oh the the one from history yes <laughs> yeah the real one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't remember the name but i mary the queen of scots I, 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 the I'm, man I'm, if she had been a pirate <laughs> i'm taking mary like, reed yes that's it uh like uh black flag does anyone yeah black everything flag? about history i learned from assassin's creed <laughs> nah. Uh, it, but um, can I? Does it matter if I spoil a little bit of uh, Black Flag? I think that came out. I think it's okay that to spoil Assassin's no, Creed Black yeah. Flag. James Kidd, aka Mary Reed, was my favorite character ever. Yeah, that's a good character. Yeah. Um. Also, because yeah, they just had a really good character design too. Mm-hmm. I love that game. That's a great one. Yeah. Wait, how is that a spoiler? Uh. You, James Kidd is mostly just James Kidd for the very um, for most oh, of the game. Oh, it's a reveal that that it's Mary Reed. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it James Kidd is supposedly the bastard son of uh, Captain Kidd. Oh. Yeah. So, even though uh, James is, or Mary is never like a captain of a ship, she's a really fun character and an assassin. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, what was the name and author? Uh, Retribution Falls by Chris Wedding, and the second book is better than in the. Than the <laughs> what uh, what's the title of the second book? Uh, the Iron, uh, the Black Lung Jack, uh, the the Black Lung Captain. Sorry, I was mixing the third and second the book. Black together. Lung Captain. I, these are good names. I, I would say, I like yeah. that. All right, uh, Nick and Peter fight to the death for my amusement. Decide who goes next. Hiya. All right, Nick, you lost. You have to go next. <laughs> okay. Oh man. All right. Well, I, I have a I have an admission. Um, I haven't quite finished the book yet. I'm not quite done. I'm not quite done. If you okay. didn't own the podcast, you would be off the podcast. <laughs> but I'm it's close okay. to done. I, I finished the book for you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, now just tell him how much he liked the ending. <laughs> See, I'm assuming it's the book that um, Nick actually read. I don't know what book he actually read. No, I read Semblin' Sense. Well, I didn't okay. I didn't read Semblin' Sense. I've read most of Semblin' Sense. Okay, I've, I've read Semblin' Sense and uh, Arms of the Sphinx, and partially through Ho- the Hod King. So I've got you, fam. Sweet. Yeah, um... So... Semblin' Sense by Josiah Bancroft uh, was sort of um, recommended to me by several people, including you guys and uh, and my go-to guy at the bookstore. Um, mm. Every time I go to the bookstore, I, I find this guy, and I just tell him, like, you know, hey, here's what we're reading this month. What should I read? And he helps <laughs> me find a book. And yeah, Does he live you gotta there? Have one of those. Is he just always there? He works there pretty frequently. I, I, I've only been there, like, once without seeing him. I will say, the, the Tower of Babel series has beautiful covers. I love the artwork. The artwork in is my fantastic. head now. You take book advice from somebody who lives in the basement of the of the bookstore and just like creeps up. Yeah, pretty much secrets. It's better than where, here. It's, it's like where I get book, my book advice. I get it from Reddit. <laughs> it's no. it's like the cre- it's like the creepy mage whispering in the king's ear from Lord of the Rings. You know. <laughs> there we worm go. Tongue, green, a worm tongue. <laughs> I just do whatever he says. You know. Um, yeah, he, he uh, when I told him Steampunk, he, he could not recommend this book enough. And uh, I believe uh, 
Daniel, your favorite author, Mark Lawrence, um, was he the one who helped uh, bring this guy up? Yeah, or? this started as a self-published book, um, and uh, Mark Lawrence, uh, who wrote uh, the well, we were just talking about it, the Red Queen's book War of- and uh, Book of the Ancestor. Yeah. Right. Book yeah, he Ancestor. fell in love with it, and I don't remember if it was part of his. He runs a contest called the Self-Published Fantasy Blog Off. I'm not sure if it was part of that. Um, but he just started tweeting it out everywhere and it kind of blew up. Yeah. And I mean, his, um, his name is on like the front of this book as well as like, a with a quote about how great it is. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, it's definitely steampunk in all the obvious ways. I mean, it has the airships, it has like clockwork spiders, uh, that are around inside of this, this tower of Babel fixing it up. Um, but it's. It's also very different. So it's about uh, the main character, Senlin. Um, he's a essentially a headmaster for a school back home. Um, and, you know, he is in love. He romanticizes this idea of the Tower of Babel, which is this distant structure where all of the advanced technology of um, humanity uh, basically resides and all the people live in this tower and he's just read so many books on it and so he finally gets married and decides for his honeymoon he he and his wife are going to go visit the tower because he had never actually been he'd only read about it in a book and um very quickly um he loses his wife um and apparently this is very common uh especially on the first floor or outside the tower even in the markets um they actually you know people say that you're actually supposed to tie yourself like with a rope to uh, the people that you're with so you don't lose them because it's it's so easy to lose people there because it's not only is this market crazy busy but they're essentially these i think the entire market is technically illegal and so there are these cops walking through and so people are constantly packing up their their stalls and then moving somewhere else and resetting up and just there's so much constant movement it's so it's it's impossible to find or stay with anybody or find where you are or so um, when you say that he lost his wife, yeah. you don't mean she's dead. No, no, no. Oh, like I mean she's missing. She's lost. He doesn't know where she is. Yeah, she's missing. Sorry. Does she know where she is? Well, I don't know yet. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, he didn't that's finish fair. the book. Uh, that's fair. I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, well, it is a trilogy, so no, I'm, it's a, it's a four book series. Uh, yeah, it's a trilogy. Yeah, sorry. A forology. <laughs> Yeah. Any number after three, I don't know anymore. I'm just lost. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that he doesn't find his wife by the end of this book because it seems like he continues up the tower. Um, oh. I would almost say it's even spoilers to know she's alive or dead. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose at the point I'm at currently, it seems pretty clear that she is still alive. But... It's yeah. a mystery. Now, yeah, I mean, he he struggles through the whole book with motivation because he he does not really know if she's really alive because he doesn't see what happens to her. Right. And people just assume, make assumptions about, oh, well, if someone went missing, they went to the tower. And yeah. you know, another thing about this 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 mysterious tower. So, I mean, there are a lot of books. I, I would say, like, sufficiently advanced magic by Andrew Rowe has this sort of you know, the higher up the tower you go, the the harder your trials and tribulations will be. And it seems to be sort of that way here. Um, you know, every floor of the, the Tower of Babel has like a different theme or, I mean, I would argue for the sake of the plot, it has a different challenge for, for Senlin. 
Um, and, you know, another element of this tower is that nobody can be trusted. Everybody will screw you over and steal your money or, you know, just lie to you outright um, to get what they need. And, you know... Seems like a terrible place to go. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And he increasingly finds that he romanticized this place and it's awful. Um, and well, he's not the only one who's lost his wife either. Uh it, it's very common. So there are many people he runs into who are pretty much in the exact same situation as him, and yet they still don't really help him. Are there any wives who lose their husbands? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. The, the saying of the tower is women flo- uh, flo- flow up. Yeah, women flow up. Uh, and that means uh, that has as dark a meaning as it sounds. Yeah. Um, but I'm getting a weird kind of sexist vibe here it's 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 not i i think it's more like trafficking huh you understand yeah i mean it's exactly that yeah 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 it is trafficking um, there is but this this book in a way reminds me a lot of neverwhere huh yeah that, yep okay i see that yeah because first off the the main character is a very unassuming hero um, they they are they they don't really have any heroic qualities. They're not brave. They're not, you know, they're they're timid. Uh, they don't want to be here. Like and, blindingly naive. Yeah. Right, right. And, <laughs> and they're thrust into into a world beyond their comprehension. Exactly. That's exactly it. I mean, the tower has these weird rules uh, of decorum and that that don't really make sense. And yet, everybody in the tower gets it except for him. And, uh, you know, so he's sort of just floating along, just trying to struggle to survive and get to, you know, fi- find his wife here. And um, it's it's really interesting. Uh, it's, it's one of the reviews, I think, was like how there's never been a better, like, unassuming hero since The Hobbit, I think, <laughs> you know, which is also another another example of that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it's 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 really fun. That's all I can say. I don't yeah, want I would I would add a little bit that like it it, it has a slow start. Um, a little bit. Yeah, and and the and the world of the first also- few the first few levels are so unbelievable, you know? The things that happen in those first yeah. couple of levels, like the first 3 are it's 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 as if it's more Alice in Wonderland than it is, you know, like yeah. the things just don't make sense. But but by the time you get to the end, there is actually an explanation that I felt like the ending of the book really helped solidify how great the previous parts were. Where if you know I had stopped before I got the explanation, I might have felt like it sort of was just all nonsense. I would also argue like Semlin's kind of unlikable in the beginning. Yes. I mean, he's, uh, I, you know, kind of like what Peter was saying, that there is a sense of sexism. And I think that Senlin exhibits the societal notion that people have about their wives and um, about women in general in the world that's presented. And he has to confront that as he, you know, tries to save his wife. Hmm. As a wife, I would like to know what these conceptions are. Uh, I mean, he's asking like fundamental questions sometimes of like, do I even love my wife? Like, why am I going to all this trouble for this person that I just 
married for like they were married for like a week or something like that. Yeah, there is I mean, some important context some... there where like everybody yeah. in his hometown was basically like, why would she marry him? And so he constantly sort of gives off the impression that he doesn't feel like he's good enough for her. But at the same time, I, I think he also thinks he's better than her. Because that's sort of his personality is he kind of thinks he's better than everybody. And then he's yeah. constantly told that, no, you are not. <laughs> yeah, because he, well, he's, he's smart, he's well-read, he's the teacher. And, you know, the, but the reality is, like, back home where he's from, nobody wants him to be teaching them. Like, he's always kind of trying... <laughs> he's always trying to teach people lessons, and they're always like, I'm just a farmer. Like, I don't need to know about the tower. I need to know how to grow wheat or whatever. So there's, there is sort of that, that um, interesting bit about him. And within the tower, everyone is kind of treated like a commodity. Like human beings are a commodity in mm-hmm. the tower. And that is doubly true for women in the tower. Um, and yeah, he has to he has to confront that and use it to his advantage in some cases while also trying to understand like his own feelings about, uh, you know, his wife existing in that context. I, I, I have not read the later book. But in the first one, at least, I felt like it was handled pretty well, um, you know, at least by the end. So, like I said, I I haven't gotten to the top of the tower yet and or as far as he gets and learned about exactly how all the technology works. But I do think it is pretty interesting. I mean, right at the beginning, we start out with, you know, seeing these airships. uh, But then almost right at the, the beginning, one of the airships crashes and everybody on it dies. So that right there is like, how advanced is this technology? Is it really like being mm-hmm. held together by like popsicle sticks and bubble gum, or is it actually, uh, you know, like a really good technology? And then there's we 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 see a glimpse of the clockwork spider, but we don't dwell on it. He just sees it in the distance, and but we know it's like fixing the tower, right? And then there's one other piece. Of techn- Hold on, there's one other piece of technology which is on the bottom floor where there are basically these giant beer fountains that'll shoot beer up for everybody to drink and they're like bicycle powered so really trying to get a grasp of like what level of technology is in this tower and how it all plays together is is still a little elusive at this point for me it's one of the last reveals i if i remember right yeah okay it is yeah when you get to the end hopefully it will it will make sense because i i felt like the reveal of what was going on in the previous levels and how it sort of stacked up as it went on was what really tied the book together for me. You haven't gotten to the best characters yet in the first novel. No. <laughs> no. Well, I'm, I'm on my second read through of the series. Yeah, it's it's really it, it is a really really fun um, read. Um, it's it's also. You know, similar to Neverwhere, though, it's it's one of those books where, you know, every possible chance something wrong happens and there's never any like reprieve. You know, you never feel like, okay, we're finally in a safe place. Like, no, it's just constantly like things go wrong. and You're like, what more could go wrong? And just it keeps happening. Mm -hmm. And it's a little stressful in that way. I definitely Um, agree. But, you know. That's sort of like Neverwhere. It's sort of like even like The Buried Giant that I read the first month. Um, and those types of books are really engaging. So, you know, I'm not going to complain. 
Does Peter or Katie have questions for the, as people who haven't read the series? Not really. Yeah, no, not really. I think I kind of get in the gist of it. Okay. All right. Nick, what was the name and author of this book again? Yeah, Feminine Ascends by Josiah Bancroft. Pick it up. Give it a read. Don't tell me what to do. No, it's I'm a really good series. It's a really good series. <laughs> All right, Peter, you are the conclusion. I am the conclusion. Oh, no. All right, I picked up a book that I thought was going to be steampunk because it set, was set in the right era or seemed to be set in the right era. Uh, and then there was no... There was no technology in it. It was just set in the era, but then there was magic. So, whoops. <laughs> it might count. Um, we might be okay. Let's let's hear let's hear what it's about, Peter. All right. The book is The Black Opera by Mary Gentle. Um, and the idea of it is it's a world very like our own, uh, set in the, I want to say early 1800s in Naples um, and the the primary difference uh, is that there are occasionally uh, miraculous effects uh, largely around uh, the sung Catholic mass um, oh. and and that sometimes uh, people return from the dead, and they're called the returned dead, and they have uh, they return in in one form or another. And uh, we see a ghost, and we also see someone walking around, looking like a normal person, except they don't they're not breathing. Um, so those are the primary differences. Uh, and we, we see in the, we learn very quickly that um, there's some sort of secret society that has heretical beliefs about God and the devil and other things that you're free to get into if you read the book, um, that uh, is driving them to try to use the, the miraculous effects of, uh, I guess, of mass, except instead of that, they're trying to evoke it through opera. Uh, and they're trying to basically cause uh, Mount Vesuvius to erupt. <laughs> what? This sounds awesome. It was a pretty so I really enjoyed it. Um, there were there were a few weaker moments, um, but I did really enjoy it. Um, it just you know it just the caveat is it didn't have you know steamships or well or airships or any of the the weird uh, you know steampunk technology that I thought would be maybe a part of it. But that was fine. I enjoyed the book very much. Um, the uh, the main character is a librettist, and if you uh, don't like I didn't know any opera terms, you will by the end of the book, <laughs> uh, which means that he writes the words for the opera, um, uh, and so the uh, hmm. he is recruited by the king to write 
the a, an opera to counter the effect of the black opera um which is being undertaken by this this conspiracy that believes whatever weird things they believe and want to make Mount Vesuvius erupt to to bring that to pass. Um, and so there's a whole lot of conspiracy. Uh, there's the the kind of thrill slash mystery of of who can I trust and. Uh, is it safe here or here or here? Uh, are we doing enough? And there's a love triangle. Um, the the book, the author opens with a, a brief note saying that she uh, tried to keep the the book as historically accurate as the uh, the librettists of old did when they were writing their operas back in the the age, <laughs> um, which she goes on to say what well, since since one of them once set a uh, an opera in the small Alpine village of Liverpool outside of London, um, that that you could safely consider this book alternate history because that's just not accurate at all um (laughs) so uh i don't know how much i learned about the geography from this book or how much i could trust um but i I had a very good time following the uh main character conrad scalese as he tried to write his opera tried to find his inspiration in a very short time uh tried to work with a difficult composer and, and get together uh, the, the operatic uh, principles to, to sing and, and put on this show. Um, I had a really good time. I very much enjoyed a couple aspects that I almost uh, never see. I guess the primary of which was that the main character is a out and proud and loud atheist. Um, and I just never, I never get the chance to read uh, enjoyable athe- you know, atheist protagonists who are ready to argue with anybody about, in the setting, about uh, God or whether these miracles are, are actually divine. Um, uh, and he does so with good arguments. And can- it's just delightful. What was that? I can think of one character that fits into that. Who's that? Uh, uh, Yasna Colin from uh, Stormlight, Archi- Stormlight Archi- Archives. I can uh, see it. Okay. You have, I know you haven't read it, Peter, but that's... That's right. Yeah. Um, it's, good, that's, it's good to know there's another one out there. Yeah, the last two books that I read, they had people who were fashionably agnostic, but that was it. Right. No, this this person is is... Like... In the very beginning of the book, he's just put on a successful opera, and and the very next day, lightning struck the opera house and burned it down. And people are considering it, calling it uh, uh, an act of God uh, against the words that he wrote, which were, I think the opera was called something like The Death of God anyway, and so now he's being arrested by the Inquisition. Um, 
and he's as he's being hauled away you know he's he's saying you know really this doesn't make any sense there's no god <laughs> or at least there, there's really there's no proof of any of this and and like he knows he's already screwed he's only rescued because the king needs someone to write an opera um but he's also just as happy to say to the king you know who is who is a, a supposedly a person of faith you know, that well we know that these things happen at mass but do, we don't really have any proof that it's because of a god looking down um we it hasn't been thoroughly researched um i just to to read somebody who is loud about it who is unafraid proud of his of his uh uh opinion in that regard it's just very refreshing nice is, would you say that's like what the book is about uh is it about atheism or his atheism in particular um no i i think i think his open-mindedness um or or desire to look deeper into things and find uh, real causes instead of assumed causes. I think that is important to the book. I don't know if I'd say it is smack dab central, um, and that's obviously part of his atheism. Um, the core of the book is really the, the, the race to create an opera in time that can theoretically okay uh, counter the black opera it's it's very much uh i guess kind of a conspiracy thriller set in the the opera scene of naples um did, so did this make yeah. you like opera well i didn't actually experience an opera while reading the book i imagine like obviously you can't write music in but how, i mean how do they uh, mostly it's description. Uh, you know, it's the author is telling us that so-and-so was writing, you know, wrote this series of notes, not in any sort of explicit terms, just he's working with the composer and they're arguing about these words or that melody or uh, does it the author make you, writes... Hmm? Sorry, does it make you more interested in opera? Like, would you go out and watch one now? You know, it, it did make me a little more interested in opera. I don't know if I have... I don't know if it made me in, more interested enough to use some of my limited time on this earth to go see if I, if I would more deeply enjoy an opera now. I know that... I think I saw an opera when I was 14 or 15 or 16 or in that age range somewhere, and I didn't go back to see more <laughs> um, but you know 20 years ago it's a different person so maybe I would enjoy it now it definitely now that you're a refined adult well I'm at least an adult um, <laughs> but uh, it, you know it definitely made me more interested the, the, the writing and the author was very much uh very well communicated the the feeling the emotions that you can 
experience that as part of a, a great performance um, that a great performance is supposed to evoke in you. It's um, like it, it came fr- it came from a a place of uh, earnestness. You think? I definitely got that impression, and if. If the author, in fact, does not care for opera, then she did an amazing job of, of <laughs> tricking us. Right. Um, that I mean, that would just speak even more to her authorship. Um, All right. What, yeah. uh, what was the name of the book? The Black Opera by Mary Gentle. All right. Guys, we reviewed all the books today. We did what? it. Woo. Another yeah. successful podcast. Well, thanks, thanks to all of you for joining us here on the Fantasy Book of the Month podcast. And uh, what are we what are we reading next month for uh, December? Did we agree on elves. a theme? Elves. Elves. Yeah. Yeah. Next month's theme is yeah. elves. That'll be an interesting. I have, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to read. Yeah. I'm reading something Peter suggested, so I'm going to blame Peter if it's bad. <laughs> we all but I read also Lord get of the Rings. Credit if it's good. <laughs> nobody, go. nobody, show up next time with a dwarf book and be like, "I don't know what happened." <laughs> <laughs> I, I picked this up thinking it was about elves, but it was actually about dwarves. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> At least elves is not like ambiguous. Yeah. There's no well. Somebody's gonna come in with that. Yeah, I was health. gonna. I was gonna say you think so, but <laughs> T- I guarantee shows up. Maybe I should read that. Oh man, what the was the ear length of the elves in your book? You know, only one and a half inches. No, no, it's got to be not three. real elves. No, this is right no here. true elf guy. The dictionary. <laughs> so yeah, right. tune in next month for that. For that cluster fluffle. <laughs> Uh, don't forget to um, follow us on Twitter if, if you want. Oh, right. Yeah. Our eventual handles are on the somewhere in the description. Yeah, I mean, we're up on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and you can see more LinkedIn. and all of our content. No, no LinkedIn. Don't follow my LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you can see more of our content on TooManyThoughtsMedia.com or TMT.media and read all of our book reviews there as well. If you like alt history facts, follow Peter. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, that brings joy to my day, and it was very confusing. It was not actual history. I'm well. You figured it out, though. Yes, I didn't because I didn't read the bottom. <laughs> oh well, I can't help you with not reading enough. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs>